What do you think? Isn't that pretty? That's lovely. As soon as I saw that picture, I immediately thought of uh, Toto and the Scarecrow and Dorothy and looking for my journey to Oz. Rainbow. Uh, it, it seems like no matter how young or how old you are, no matter how many times we've seen one of this bright, colorful rainbows in the sky, it's impressive, isn't it? Very few folks would disagree that this colorful, majestic arch in the sky is strikingly beautiful. Maybe you remember how rainbows are formed. You remember your science class in school? It appears when light from the sun is reflected and refracted and dispersed in airborne water droplets, which result in the light being split into a visible spectrum, colors we can actually see. They're most commonly seen after rain. Uh, so the appearance of a bright and colorful rainbow after bad weather is oftentimes associated with the idea of joyous feelings, of, of after a gloomy period, the sense that something good will follow the dark times. So, feel good. In looking at all this whole concept of rainbows, I found a lot of interesting things, things I, I, I guess I didn't know, uh, but now I do. Uh, well, the list, we only list seven colors in the rainbow. The rainbow is actually made up of over one million colors. One million. Wow. I thought that's pretty significant. Most of those the human eye can't see or comprehend. So the rainbow is as mysterious as it is profound. And not only is it mysterious in the sense that we can't always see all the colors there, but there's also an awful lot of symbolism that's associated in various cultures throughout time, over hundreds if not thousands of years. Uh, it's a natural phenomenon, the rainbow. And it's existed for a long time, so rainbows have been familiar with people around the world. Let me give you a couple examples of what folks do here. Here in our own country, the, the Navajos, the Native Americans, according to the Navajo view of rainbows, it was a magical serpent that only brave warriors could ride. But for those who were worthy, it would take them to the spirit world where they would receive divine guidance. Okay, let's go to one a little more familiar to us. Lucky Charms, eat your cereal this morning? Yeah. Well, this is Celtic beliefs, the Irish. Uh, the idea about rainbows are among the probably the best known in, in our culture, anyway. According to the traditional beliefs of the Celtic folks, a rainbow uh, shows where a leprechaun has buried a pot of gold. Ooh, that sounds good. However, since the optical effect of a rainbow never allows you to reach the end, how many folks have found that pot of gold? No one. According to another Celtic tradition, the arc of the rainbow was thought to resemble the belly of a pregnant woman. So rainbows were also a symbol of fertility. In fact, it was even thought that a pregnancy was more likely to be successful if the baby was conceived under a rainbow. Well, let's move to our own Minnesota background here, the Viking mythology, kind of like Vikings winning the Super Bowl. No, wait a minute. No, don't say that? Okay. No, with rainbows, uh, a path between, uh, was thought to be a path between Midgard, Midgard, the realm of men, and Asgard, the realm of the gods. 
And the Viking warriors who were killed in battle would walk the path on the way to Valhalla, kind of the heaven, uh, the golden hall of Odin, the king of the gods of the Norse country. Well, there, there's more in Japan. Their culture, like the Vikings, the Japanese believed that the rainbow were bridges to heaven. Uh, in a Japanese creation myth, the male and female creators of the world descended on earth on a rainbow, and they created land from the chaos of the ocean. Okay, probably the most familiar one to us would be the Christian context. In Genesis, uh, God sent a rainbow to Noah as a sign that he and all the animals can leave the ark and that God promises never again to submerge the earth in another great deluge. And for this reason, it symbolizes God's covenant with man as well as his great mercy and forgiveness. That's one we're most familiar with, aren't we? How about some of the more modern rainbow symbolisms that are around us? Look familiar? Today, the use and understanding of the rainbow in modern Western society, particularly here in America, has morphed from a uniquely Christian symbol of God's grace and mercy to a rally flag for the homosexual community. It's used today by the LGBT proponents in a sexual context, that is, as a symbol to represent diversity and acceptance of all people, no matter their sexual orientation. So what has, for thousands of years, been a unifying symbol of hope to millions of folks has, for many folks, become a divisive and polarizing symbol. Many folks are saying the rainbow has been hijacked to represent something far different than originally intended. And other folks are saying the rainbow symbol is merely following a natural course of any symbol where its meaning changes over time and therefore can be interpreted any way a person would like it to be understood. So that begs the question for you and me this morning, my friends. How do you view the rainbow today? Well, for us in our context here within our Christian community, the rainbow is first mentioned in the Bible and the first book of the Bible, Genesis, particularly chapter 9, right after the flood in the days of Noah. Now, according to Genesis 6, humankind as a whole had really gone off the deep end in the evil department since the time of Adam and Eve. There wasn't much, if anything, evil and corrupt that mankind was not engaging in. It wasn't looking good. And how'd God feel about that? Not a happy camper. God had become so sick of humanity's wickedness that he decided to destroy it. That's Genesis 6.5. And of all of God's people, sad to say, only one, Noah, was remaining faithful to God. And you know how old he was at that time? 500 years old. No, that's not a misprint. I'll talk about that in a bit. But he was nearly 500 years old when God made the decision to wipe out humanity. Well, even though God had decided to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth, he still was in love with that special group of folks, his creation, that is, mankind. And he wanted them to return to his loving arms. He therefore gave them this huge opportunity, an enormous opportunity, to turn around and get their act together. He gave them about 100 to 120 years, 120, 20, 
years to get their act together, to work things out with God. And that's the length of time it took Noah to build an ark. During that time of construction, his neighbors and fellow citizens of the world, they would have seen this thing. Would you have noticed this monstrous boat? Had 100 years, 120 years to do so. They would have seen, and Noah would have had opportunity to tell them of why he's building this monstrous boat. They would have had ample opportunity to turn their sinful lives around. Ample opportunity to get right with God. Apparently none did, except for Noah and his wife, their three sons, and their three daughters-in-law. Eight people in all. So, after a long, long, long last chance at looking at this graphic illustration of God's disappointment and anger at sin, nothing like a huge boat on dry land to make a point, right? The ark was completed. Excuse me. So Noah was about 500 when he 500 years old when he began his construction project. It took him about 100 years to complete this monstrous, seaworthy floating zoo. You keeping track of the math? Okay, 600. So when the rains finally started, Noah, about 600 years old, that's Genesis 7, verse 6, tells us that. Things happened quickly from then on. Noah and his family were, were sealed up inside this wooden zoo with all kinds of animals. That's Genesis 8:13. And then for the next 40 days and 40 nights, it rained and it rained and it rained. And when the waters finally subsided after this massive worldwide flood, Noah was able to venture out on dry land, but not right away. Things were pretty soggy still. It took nearly a full year nearly a full year of remaining on the ark before the land was dry enough to venture out. Well, Noah lived about another 350 years after this. You got the math going? Let's see, 500 plus 100 plus 350. He was an old geezer, wasn't he? Well, after an incredible and monumental life, Noah finally reached the grand old age of almost 950 years. That's Genesis 9, verses 28 and 29. He was the last of the human beings to live such an extraordinary long life. He wasn't unique at that time. We think back, now that's crazy, that must be an exaggeration. No, it wasn't. Others had also lived a long life before him, probably the best known as Methuselah, who was the oldest man ever to have lived. He was how old? 969 years. After Noah, however, mankind would only live to a maximum of 120 years. That's Genesis 6.3, saying, that's it, folks, no longer this long, 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 long life, down to 120, still true today. We know several folks in the hundreds, don't we, members of the congregation, actually. 120, that's about tops. But this 900 stuff, not anymore. Well, the ark finally touched land, and it speculated in the region which today is known as the mountains of Ararat. That's located somewhere in the area between present-day Turkey and near the Russian border. But no one knows for sure, although people keep trying to find it. Well, when Noah and his family and all the animals had finally left the ark, we're told in Genesis chapter 9 that Noah built an altar and offered a sacrifice to God. God responded with this promise. It's a long one. It's from Genesis 9, verses 9 through 17. God's speaking to Noah, and he says this. I now establish my covenant with you 
and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I established my covenant. Covenant's a contract, a relationship, a promise, an agreement. I established my covenant with you. And here's what he promised. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the promise he made. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. Just to show you I'm, I'm serious, I'm going to give you something to look at and see. He said, the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll see it. You notice who's saying that? God is saying, I will see the rainbow. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Quite a promise. Never again. Never again, God said. He said it three times. That's making a point. Never again would he destroy all life with a flood. So every time mankind was to see a rainbow, the handiwork of God's own design, he said he would remember the promise. That's significant. And while we see a rainbow only occasionally, think about that. God must see a rainbow every day. Why? Because there's surely a rainbow somewhere in the world going on everywhere we look. So every day, God has a reminder of what he promised to mankind. One of many promises he made and promises that God always keeps. So, why did God grieve? Why was he ticked off at mankind back then that he decided to destroy the earth? That's a pretty strong message. Well, let me ask you, did, did God regret sending the flood? That after the fact, he went, oh my, I just lost my cool. I shouldn't have done that. I, I'm sorry I did that. I shouldn't have done it. No, no, no. He was pretty unhappy with mankind, to be sure. It says he grieved all the evil and corrupt things mankind was doing. Absolutely. But later on, did he, did he have second thoughts and regret his actions? Well, we walk on pretty thin ice when we try to peer into the mind of God and second-guess him. The question remains, however, did God regret sending the flood? Was he sorry he did it? Well, I'm going to read to you uh, an account of Noah building the ark. Now, this is a tongue-in-cheek one. It's not true. It's meant to bring a smile to your face. You got that prefix? Okay, here we go. And the Lord said unto Noah, Where is the ark which I have commanded thee to build? And Noah said unto the Lord, Verily I have had three carpenters off ill. The gopher wood supplier hath let me down, yea, even though the gopher wood has been on order for nearly twelve months. What can I do, O Lord? And God said unto Noah, I want that ark finished even after seven days and seven nights. And Noah said, It will be so. And it was not so. And the Lord said unto Noah, What seemeth to be the trouble this time? And Noah said unto the Lord, Mine subcontractor hath gone bankrupt. The pitch, 
which thou commandest me to put on the outside and on the inside of the ark, has, hath not arrived. The plumber has gone on strike. Shem, my son who helpeth me on the ark side of the business, hath formed a pop group with his brothers Ham and Japheth. Lord, I am undone. And the Lord grew angry and said, And what about the animals, the male and female of every sort that I ordered to come unto thee to keep their seed alive upon the face of the earth? And Noah said, They have been delivered unto the wrong address, but should arrive on Friday. And the Lord said, How about the unicorns and the fowls of the air by sevens? And Noah wrung his hands and wept, Lord, Lord, Lord. Unicorns are discontinued line. Thou cannot get them for love nor money. And fowls of the air are sold only in half dozen lots, Lord. Thou knowest how it is. And the Lord in his wisdom said, Noah, my son, I knowest. Why else dost thou think I have caused a flood to descend upon the earth? I always smile, at least I hope we do. It was meant to be a tongue-in-cheek thing. But we also know there was nothing funny about the condition of mankind in those days before the flood. Did God regret sending his, the flood? Was he sorry he did it? Well, Genesis 6-7 tells us, nope, he didn't. But the text does say God did grieve over the fallenness of mankind from his created holiness. In other words, God's heart ached because of what had become of his beloved mankind. Man was created good and in a perfect relationship with God. Things were rosy back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Man was created good, perfect relationship with God, but since the fall of Adam and Eve, humankind has turned further and further away from God. And these verses from Genesis 6 of Genesis, just before God sent the flood, are kind of haunting. Here's what it says. Man's heart was filled with evil. God's heart was filled with pain. Can you picture that father-child relationship? Oh, parents kind of know heartache can happen with your kids, don't you? Well, that's the imagery here. Well, the flood was a result of the sinfulness of humanity. It happened because humankind turned their backs toward God. Not a good thing. They ignored him. And God would not allow that to continue. So, after the flood, it was thought, okay, we got a clean beginning to everything. And God began anew with Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives, eight people, to whom God said, even as he said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Noah, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth. And so Noah did. Interestingly, I think God does not say the rainbow would serve as a reminder to man, to you and me. It would serve as a reminder to him, to himself. He said, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. So you see, my friends, in our context of Christianity and the Bible, the rainbow is God's gift, not mankind's invention. God sharing his innermost feelings by creating this spectacularly beautiful visible sign in the sky, just how much he cares for his beloved creation, you and me. And he wants to remind himself to keep all of his promises. The one of the flood, yeah, but every other one he's ever made. And he's made a lot of them for us. 
You know, we're told that before the flood, God's heart was filled with pain when he saw man's heart was filled with evil. I mean, just imagine the pain in God's heart after the flood when he saw man's heart was still filled with evil. Oh, I thought I took care of that. It hadn't gotten any better regarding sin, it seemed. But imagine the pain in God's heart when he saw Noah himself fall into sin and do some stupid stuff after the flood. Imagine the pain in his heart when he saw the Tower of Babel being built years later. And imagine the pain in God's heart when later still in the Old Testament, God saw his people Israel continue to rebel and worship other gods. Imagine the pain in his heart when he saw his only son, Jesus, hanging on a cross, suffering for all those sins he didn't commit, but he was hanging there anyway. But my friends, Jesus not only suffered for all the sins of the past, but he suffered for the sins that you and I commit now and commit in the future. Imagine the pain in God's heart when he sees us, even knowing what Jesus has done for us, to continue to sin. But here's the good news for us this morning. That love of, in God's heart is far stronger than the pain in his heart. And our sin, my friend, result not in a flood of judgment, but rather in a flood of forgiveness. A flood of forgiveness that came to us in the waters of baptism, as our lessons talked about this morning. A flood of forgiveness that comes to us in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to partake of in a moment. So today, when God sees a rainbow, he still remembers his promise not to destroy the earth with the flood. Moreover, he also remembers the ultimate solution for sin, the suffering and death of his son. He remembers not with pain in his heart, but with a loving joy in knowing his beloved mankind, you and me, will be able to join him in heaven one day. And we can also live with a smile today. We leave these doors that our faces will have a smile on our faces and a joy in our hearts, knowing he is with us every day through the good times, through the tough times, as we wait until the day we leave for heaven. So I ask you again, my friend, what shall we remember when we see the rainbow? Well, I, I hope you see not as a changing political fad, but rather as a thousands-of-year-old promise of God's love of his grace and of his mercy for you, for me, for all of mankind. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.